listen, you need more followers. If you want more customers, you need more leads. In order to get more leads, one of the easiest, best ways to do that is by leveraging social media. And the best place to leverage your social media is with Instagram. There are billions of users. You just need to know how to attract the ones who want what you have. Brock and I have helped thousands of people just like you grow their account from like 150 people to 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, even half a million followers. No, you don't need to be a gorgeous fitness model. No, you don't have to be great on camera. It is easier than ever to grow your Instagram account, but you need to understand how. It's not that difficult. In fact, you're probably wasting so much time on Instagram right now, and we want to help save you time and make you money by finding the customers who want what you have. I invite you to join us. We have a monthly membership. It's insane. It is the best-priced training mentorship on the interwebs, if I do say so myself. When you join Hub, your monthly membership entitles you to two live interactive trainings per month. They're insane. In addition to that, you can log in at any time and watch hundreds of quick, tiny tutorials, each of which are designed to help you grow your Instagram, reach more customers, and do so as quickly as possible. I want to invite you to check it out. Just go to instaclubhub.com. You don't even have to remember that. While you're listening to the show, just scroll down right now over the show notes. You will see that there's a link there to Insta Club Hub. You can actually click on that while you're listening to the show and enter your email address to learn more. It's that simple. And we look forward to seeing you on our next live training. Hey, my name is Shaleen Johnson, and I am very grateful that you're here today. Today, we're going to answer the question, is your work life putting your real life in the backseat? It's really easy to do. Work can be an addiction. Being busy can give you a high. And those two deadly combinations often result in people like us who are uber productive getting so caught up in our calendar and to-do list that we forget to live our lives. Today, my guest, Richie Norton, who you're about to meet, he's just the coolest dude. Like you're literally about to meet such a dude who walks his talk and is living this incredibly inspirational life. He's killing it in business, killing it in life, killing it with his family. And he really has, in my opinion, come up with a pretty cool, revolutionary and simple way to flip the idea of time management on its head. And it's an important concept for us all to think about right now because everything is different. Like everybody can work remotely from their phones whether you're an entrepreneur or working for somebody else, the opportunity to create more flexibility and to rethink the way that we imagine balance looking like is so important. And I think Richie knows, as you're about to hear, how important this is because you've really got just one life to live. You're going to hear about some of his own personal tragedies that helped him to realize, I have to do this now. Richie is, you know, like I said, he's got like long hair. He's a surfer dude, lives in Maui, but travels the world with his family and his wife, Natalie, and the coolest kids ever. But he's also a serial entrepreneur. He's a best-selling author. He wrote the book, Start Something Stupid. And his latest book is the Anti-Time Management Book. Richie has been featured in Forbes Magazine, Bloomberg, Business Week, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, and Inc., just to name a few. He is a serial entrepreneur, and as I said, he is the author of The Power of Starting Something Stupid, Resumes Are Dead, What to Do About It, and his latest book, which we'll talk about today, which is the Anti-Time Management Book. 
In 2019, Richie was named one of the world's top 100 business coaches. He walks his talk. He's a dude. He's a great guy. And he knows what he's talking about. Without further ado, Richie Norton. So the first thing I want to talk about is really how this is, it's a habit, it's a process, and it's a formula. But Mm -hmm. why is it you wrote this book as it pertains to like how things are so different today in our work life and in how business is changing and artificial intelligence? Like, So talk to us about why this is so important to do. So let me start with just a little piece of background and mm-hmm. then jump to the future. And then I'll talk about how it applies to me personally and, and then to everyone. It's strange to me that the, even the word time management got into the personal self-help vernacular. Hmm. Because time management 200 years ago when it was invented was literally designed to control people. Mm-hmm. Every blood, sweat, and tear was calculated by the second. So mm-hmm. what's weird is like we've taken this idea and we've applied it to how do we get our time back? How do I be free? It's like, no, no, no. It was never a tool designed to give you your freedom. It was designed to control people on purpose. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm saying it, it sounds like, oh, that's new and that's weird. Anyone who studies the history knows this is the truth. This is just the way it is. As an entrepreneur, that to me, I was like, I, I need that though. Because one of my struggles when I first became an entrepreneur and also like having ADHD was not having somebody manage me. So I felt like mm. I have to kind of apply some of these principles And I think personally, that's why I got very caught up in managing me, which is managing my time. But you just really outline how it is such a slippery slope and how before long we are allowing like low priority tasks to manage, to become our life. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you fast forward to the future and you go, well, what was the essence of time management in personal development and professional help? And, And it's for an entrepreneur. Well, then we start having a totally different conversation. So like if you go way back in history, you look at what Aristotle would he talk about. He talked about all kinds of things, right? Aristotle. But there was one term he used. He, he called it the four causes and he called it the last one was final cause. And I know this sounds like crazy stuff, but like basically an acorn becomes an oak tree. So if you think about it that way. A lot of people will say we'll use the example of creating a table. So let's say you need you need wood or whatever, you need the design, you need a person to put it together, and eventually you have this table. But if you really think about it and you say, why do I need the table at all, final cause, if you're going to have as a legacy thing for your family, sure. But if it was just so you could have like a, a fancy dinner with people that are visiting, you might not need it at all. In fact, today you can order Uber Eats. <laughs> you can go to the food truck down the street, and all that money and time that you spent creating this table, this is a metaphor, was actually totally unnecessary to the effect, the final cause, the essence, the real goal, the goal, the goal, the success after the success that you really wanted. So when you say today, technology's changed, AI is a thing, are we losing jobs or not? I actually think all this tech is actually helping us become more human because we're able to stop doing the robotic things that we've been taught to do through time management, quote unquote time management, and be able to be more free and artistic and creative and be able to be the the essence of what we always wanted starting from the beginning. What I love is that you you talk about like, you know, we kind of need to stop 
thinking about all these things we want to do off in the future and start living from that that end point, right? That final place. And without jumping ahead, I think we need to allow people to self-identify. You do this really cool thing in the book where you basically walk us through a series of questions that people need to ask themselves to figure out if their work-life balance, if there's flexibility there. And you've taken this list of questions from another organization that will remain nameless for the moment, just because mm. I think it's like super profound. And, and I'm catching you off guard. But any chance you have those questions like handy? Well, I don't have them memorized, but I do have my well, book in front of me. <laughs> okay, cool. Because I loved them. Thank you. No, as I researched this, and I won't, I won't give it away, yeah. I started making those connections and I was like, whoa. Mm. <laughs> All right. Oh, it so, hit me hard. Okay. So here's the questions. Oh, oh, am I going to read them? I'm going to read them. Okay. Yeah, do. All right. So you can ask yourself, you can self-reflect listeners, yes or no. So there's six questions. One, have you ever decided to manage or balance your time better, but it didn't last? Two, do you ever envy people who can spend their time more freely than you? Three, have your time management abilities or the lack thereof caused trouble at home? Four, do you tell yourself you can stop working anytime you want to, even though you keep working even against your own expectations? Five, have you ever switched from one habit or program to another hoping that this would make you more efficient, effective, or successful? And six, have you ever felt like you worked all day and got nothing done? I can't imagine there's very many people who listened to those questions and didn't answer a lot of them, if not all of them, yes. I mean, I know I have. And tell us where you got the, those list of questions from, because I think that's awfully telling. Yeah, no, I know. I adapted them from Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like it's... So telling for me, just someone who I, I call myself a workaholic in recovery, but reading those questions, I'm like, oh, yeah, I still need to identify as that, which means I can slip very quickly back into those old habits. And I'm so thankful that we're doing that. I had the chance to read the book because there's times, Richie, where Brett and I, you know, we had so admire what you and Natalie do and the way you live your life. And there's been times where I'm like, what do you think he actually like gets anything done? Like this guy look they seem like they're living their best freaking life. And I feel like this was the blueprint. Like it's so good the way you walk through the process, how anyone can do this and why it is so important and why it's also so achievable today because of remote working, because of the pandemic. Yeah, it, it's totally achievable. It's a learnable skill like riding a bike. And I, I call the process time tipping. And, you know, I, I call the book anti-time management. What's interesting, though, is I didn't, like, set out to write this book. You know, especially when I was younger, I always looked at successful people, and I was worried about work-life balance because I was like, my, my family is most important to me, but I have to make money. And I would talk to these multimillionaires – some of them were, were billionaires, le legit. I just happened to be in situations where I can meet them. And whenever I could, I would ask about work-life balance. And either directly or indirectly, I'd just try to figure it out. And the vibe I always got back was, there's no such thing. And, and it was always like, I, I sacrificed my family, but it is what you have to do. 
And I thought, well, I don't want to do it that way. <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I also, I've noticed the way, at least from what you've shared, you and Brett, you put your your family first. You you put football first, you know, which is not about football. It's about the kid, right? We've talked about this, and I've seen you call it create the moat after you build the castle. Yeah, which is such a cool concept because we <laughs> so do it in the reverse. We do it in, in the reverse. So you build the castle, your dreams, and then you create the work to support it. This is a very different way of thinking. But I didn't go out to just change the world and change everything. What happened is I had a, a terrible string of tragedies, which which you know we've we've talked about in detail on other podcasts. But I'll go through it real quick. Like my my son passed away, my brother in law passed away, my wife had a stroke and lost her memory, got it back fortunately. My son was hit by a car. Thirty five, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had foster kids that came and went, and that hurts in ways you know that's really hard to to understand because they're out there and we don't know if they're okay or not. It, it, it's a whole thing. So when I realized, like, you know what, God doesn't hate me. Things just happen. Love God unconditionally, and then go to work. And when I started thinking about that, I realized as long as you're putting what you really, 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 really want, it sounds like a, a song from uh, Spice Girls or something, when you, when you put what you really want first, <laughs> the, the pieces fall into place. But we've been told through quote-unquote management, no, 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 wait till you're retired. Yeah. Wait till the end of the year. Wait till you get your two weeks bonus. That's intentional. Wait till the kids are out of school. When this is done, then we'll do it. When it's all these like in the future, all these, like you say, these, these time or whatever you want to call it, like almost like steps, these invisible mm-hmm. steps that we've convinced mm-hmm. ourselves we Go have to steps. do this, 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 and this. And, and you talk about just saying like, why later? Why not now? Like what would happen if you just started doing it now? And, and what's really weird, you, you, you get it because you do this, but what's really weird is when someone hears this for the first time, and this is, this is not a criticism. This is like I, I have friends where they're like, you know, my dad worked in the mill his whole life, and so does his dad, and so does his dad. And like, this, is, this is no joke. This is real life. And now they've broken free, and they're, they're doing their thing, and they look back, and they try to figure out how it, it really is a mindset. But when you realize that, it's, it's such a weird thing. When you realize that if you just start doing the essence, the final cause of what you are hoping would have happened in the future, your brain is smarter than you think. (laughs) And it allows you to get creative and create space for solutions that will allow you to live that life and find money that allows you to live that life. I just want to be the voice of the person right now who is already putting up an obstacle and saying, like, that sounds really great if you're already working for yourself, if you've already have the financial ability to just start doing the thing that you want to do. But if I have debt and I have responsibilities and I have kids and I have this job and what I want to do is travel the world with my kids in an Airstream, but I can't start doing that right now because I do need to make this happen, this happen, this happen. So what do you say to that person? Well, first of all, it's funny that living in a van down by the river is is the new dream. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let's, right. let's acknowledge that, right? For <laughs> right. sure. Hashtag so, Brock Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> and, there you go. And let's also acknowledge that this is something Covey taught me. I'm a Covey student guy. He's like, and a student of yours, by the way. You've taught me everything I know here. So let's let's be real about oh, this. <laughs> That's so sweet. But when you pick 
I have. I'm a MIA student, guys. You know, Marketing Academy, Impact Academy, right here. Made lots hey. of money learning from this person, hey. right? This, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. She didn't tell me to say that. Okay, so but but what Covey would say is when you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other. So first realize, like, if you've chosen a job that disallows you from doing anything, you've chosen a job that disallows you from doing anything. You you did that on purpose. You did that on purpose. And if you tell yourself you didn't and you can't and you can't get out, the problem is, whether that's true or not, the problem is you don't allow yourself to think differently. You've, you have stopped the process of thinking. So to all those who feel, feel stuck, got it. But if you are willing to allow yourself to try and think of other ways to do it, there are ways. And it might not happen overnight. It might be incremental. But there, more than anything you do in your life, as far as time is concerned, changing how you're paid will change your life. Our lives used to be on the farms. Then they moved to the cities. Now our lives have the opportunity to be lived from home. This isn't like even 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that was some crazy thing that only crazy people did. Today it's the norm. It's the norm. So, And, and, and to clarify, when you say our lives, we could be lived from home, do you mean we can... We can work from home. We can That's work right. from home. We can work from... Scotland. We can work from wherever it is you're traveling with your family. You can That's work right. from the That's beach right. in Hawaii. I love Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it so much. Think about it this way. I wanted to be able to work and, and be able to take my kids to school and pick them up from school. And I wanted to be able to coach their baseball teams. And I thought it was messed up if a boss, I had to ask permission. That's just me. Everyone has different values. It is what it is. But as I progressed with that thought, I started thinking, how could I stop going to an office? Again, I, I get I'm an entrepreneur. And I get that. But I started thinking, what if I could just work from my cell phone? This is 20 years ago. Some people did, but most people didn't do this or even think this. But because I said, can I work from my cell phone and not from a computer or a laptop, it forced me to create an environment. It's actually called a forcing function in psychology that allowed me to create environments where I had to make it happen. So when I say, like in the book, every project you do should create time, not take time. So like the same way there's cash flow, why isn't there time flow? The idea is how do I stop doing all the things I don't want to do, outsource them, delegate them, eliminate them, and do only the things I want to do? Because in that sense, if you're only doing the things you like and want to do, I'm not even saying things you're necessarily good at, but if you're doing the things you like and want to do, even if the project fails, you're still doing what you want to do. And if those things were supporting, let's just say, freedom of time or family or flexibility, then in that sense, you're still living the dream from the start. So if you said the goal of my business is not, or even my work, is not just to create time in the future when I retire, but to create time for my family right now, you will find jobs and opportunities for that to happen because you're thinking that way. Richie, is this something that we have to make like a total overhaul to no, our no. lifestyles or is this something you recommend that we can do in small shifts? Like let's say, for example, I'm – right now I'm listening to you and I, I work for myself maybe. Maybe I am a professional like I'm a therapist or a dentist or a, yes. you know, someone who sees people in person and I think to myself, yeah, I'm the boss. But if I'm not working, then I'm not making money so – for that person, they might think to themselves, this is a decision I have to make to earn less money. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
if someone thinks they're going to do this to earn less money, they will probably do it and earn less money. Touche. If they say, how can I, I believe in thinking algebraically when you're trying to solve problems. So you say, how can I do this thing without that bad thing happening right now or by Tuesday or in two years or whatever it is? By doing that, you create space, again, to problem solve. So let me take it to just another, another level. Executives at corporations right now who I work with are ripping their hair out trying to figure out how they're going to keep employees. Facts. Because their, their best talent is leaving, not just to be entrepreneurs. That's the small percentage. Let's be honest. That's a small percentage of people. They're leaving to work at jobs that give them flexibility mm-hmm. and meaning. So you're going to find more and more employers trying to find ways to incentivize you to work for them. But as I mentioned in the book, as soon as, uh, uh, as, soon as flexibility becomes a company perk, it, it's not a perk anymore. It's, it's designed to keep you. Maybe we should define so, flexibility. Let's define flexibility. <laughs> yeah. I, I think of it in, in three parts. Okay. Autonomy, meaning you can do what you want. And there's different grades or degrees of, of being able to do that. So there, there are three A's. Autonomy, availability, and ability. So I might be able to do whatever I want, but I might not be available to do it because I'm busy. Mm-hmm. I might be able to do what I want and I'm available, but I'm not able to because I don't have the ability, either the skill or the knowledge or the money. So you can ask yourself, if there's something I want to do, am I not doing it because I can't choose it, because I'm not available, or because I'm not able? Is flexibility freedom? Mm. For you, is it? Let's start there. I think of flexibility as a tool. What's beyond the tool? What do you mean? I can be super flexible and still be doing all the things I don't want to do. Because I took a personality survey and a strengths test, and it told me I'm really good at laying bricks. So I'm going to lay bricks for my entire life instead of knowing that I can learn and I can change. So flexibility to me is important, but true freedom obviously comes with responsibility. You know, we got little Spider-Man stories and being, being powerful and that kind of stuff, but if you feel like you're not free, are you? Right. You might be, but you're not aligning your activities with the things that you want to do. Yeah, I mean, your perception is your reality. Yeah. And, you know, so we, we started off by saying that, you know, so many people we hear like work-life balance. Oh. And oh. I think that, you know, it depends on how you define that, right? But you talk about like, creating this disbalance like unbalancing things like and i think that's a relatively new concept so how can you help someone who's like wait i thought the goal was we're trying to be in balance so what do you mean by starting by like unbalancing things so in in physics the word balance means motionless it literally means you don't move a perfectly balanced object does not do anything (laughs) <laughs> that's that's hardcore that that will stick with it, me 
it only moves forwards or backwards with motion. Mm-hmm. And so if you really want flexibility or freedom or to expand your availability, autonomy, ability, you want more time, instead of seeking balance, which I do believe is a myth, I don't think anybody actually wants balance. What, are you going to sleep the same hours that you work and that you play? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to happen. And how do you choose that pie? Do you do it by minute or by hour, right? So in reality, flexibility and freedom and autonomy is pushing the ball forward. So you intentionally unbalance the ball in the direction you want it to go. That's how you make a three. That's how Steph Curry does it. And we're we're creating that unbalance in the direction that we want it to to go in, but we have to start by figuring that out for ourselves. Right? Yeah. So you talk about personal, professional, people and play. And you walk people through this like super cool exercise that does not take long, but I'm just encouraging people right now, don't try to do this as like in your head. It won't work. You literally need to take out a pen and a piece of paper and go through this exercise because it probably only takes like 15, 20 minutes, I would think, to like really think through it. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm saying that because it's one of the things I need to do and I'm going to make Brett do as well because I listened to the book, but I was, you know, taking notes for our interview. But I'm like, I, I'm going to sit down and do this. So talk to us about like why those four areas. You want to try and create a North Star for making decisions. So instead of the world just being all all chaos as it is, you can look into the stars and goes, I don't care what the waves are doing. That's that's the direction we're going. So I look at like your personal life, totally selfish. This is me. And then I look at people that I love, totally unselfish. This is them. And I look at my profession because that supports the things that I want to do, me and my people. And I look at play as rejuvenation and contribution and things you want to do. Ultimately, if you were to come up with, there's a whole process, right? But if you were to come up with the number one thing in your personal life, the number one thing in your professional life, the number one thing for your people, and the number one thing at at play, then when you make a decision, you can ask yourself, will it lead me towards that thing or further away from it? And if it leads you toward it, then you can say, yes, I'm going to do it. If it's going to lead you away, you don't have to say you're not going to do it but at least you'll be conscious about your decisions and stop blaming your habits and your strengths and your goals for not getting where you want to get because you made the decision, not some abstract idea. It's very much in alignment with what we teach, which is a priority clarity statement, but you really give it more parameters, which I think makes it easier for people to apply. And It is an important exercise to go through. And as you say in the book, so few people do this and they they will live 20, 30, 40, their entire lives without ever creating on paper a plan for what it is that they want. You know, when you talk about that final cause, which I think is such a simple concept, like why are you doing this? It's almost like having a goal. Like what's the goal of your goal? You know, because we, we, again, we both are really in alignment with goal setting where it's like, you know, I want the car, I want the house, but like, why? What's the goal? That's right. That's right. 
You might not need that house. There, there might be something you can do a lot, like you say, almost like speeding up the process of having the feeling that it is you want, having the thing that you want when you actually go like, okay, so why, what is the final cause? Why have I set this goal? Why is this an objective for me? That's right. Like I had a client, he was making 250 grand a year. He was like an accountant and he wanted his time back. So he was going to quit his job and he was going to start a gym. And I'm like, cool. And he's like, I need two gyms and it's going to take five years to be profitable. And I'm like, cool, man. And then what are you going to do? He's like, well, I want to spend two months out of the year in Italy with my kids and have all this time. And I'm like, cool. How old are your kids? And he's like 13 and 15. I go, awesome. Who's going to open your gym in the morning and who's going to close it at night? And he goes, I am because I'm a micromanager. And I go, all right. So in five years when you're done doing that, your kids will be 18 and 20. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean he can't do the gym. It just means how he operates might need to change if the goal of the goal is to spend time with his kids. It's the carrot cake, which is such a there great you analogy. You know, you talk about like we all are like, you know, we think about this imaginary milestone that once we reach that milestone, that carrot, if you will, then once I reach that milestone, then I will, I will have that thing. So share with us that analogy of the carrot cake. <laughs> so goals we've always been taught in most cases are like a stick and a carrot. So we're going to follow this thing along until we finally get it. But it ends up we almost never get the carrot and the carrot rots. This is what mm -hmm. happens over time. In fact, our dreams in the future are not the dreams we actually want in the future because our lives have changed. The social landscape has changed. So we illogically set goals for the future that might make sense today, but make no sense in the future. So the idea is if you want that carrot, what if you could have a carrot cake? Now, I get some people don't want sugar or they're gluten-free and all that kind of stuff. I get it, I get it, I get it. But the idea is you bake in to the recipe what you want from the start. You mm -hmm. can't bake a cake and expect it to be full of sugar if you didn't put sugar in it from the start. So people will create businesses expecting them to give them their time and life back, but never putting their time and life into the business, the availability of their time and life in the business. Yeah. And then they wonder in the future, after they've cemented systems, how they're going to get out. And they have to sell the company even though they don't want to. And they've wasted a lot of valuable, precious personal time when in reality, the biggest thing about growing a business and scaling is getting yourself out of the way. You're the bottleneck. Mm. So literally, business can grow faster and bigger and be more important, not only to the people you're serving, but to yourself, if you bake in the sugar from the start. Yeah. Put your time availability in it from the start. So one of the things you talk about that really stands in our way from doing this is our own strengths, mm. you know, and I thought that that's really interesting. So what are the risks that we have to look out for when it comes to like our own strengths? <laughs> Let me reposition the word strengths for the listeners, mm -hmm. because a lot of the things we're really good at aren't things we like doing anymore. They've served their purpose. We're almost sick we of them. We're sick of them, but we double down on strengths because you have to think like a like a hardcore mean business person. Most business people are nice and good. I get it. I get it. But if you think as a, of a manager, 
They only want you to do what you're good at because it saves them time and money. That is the purpose of strengths management. That They don't want to teach you anything else. This is a real thing. No one says it out loud. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if you think about yourself, if your strength has become a weakness, stop thinking of, about like what you're good at and think about what do you like and want to do. What do you mean by your strength has become a weakness and how do we know if our strength has become a weakness? Good so question. give me an example. Mm. Okay. Let's, let's make it super real. I'll just say anything. Mm-hmm. But it feels like when you wake up in the morning that you're not excited about doing it anymore. What's happened? You're a teacher. You're a teacher. You're really, really good at teaching English. You're really, really good at wrangling sixth graders. Yeah. And everyone says that you are amazing at it, but you just don't love it anymore. That's what you mean? Yeah. And it's not to say that you can't keep doing it. And I'm not saying, like my grandpa always taught me, you can't ask anybody to dig a ditch if you're not willing to do it yourself. You know, you need to dig ditches too. I'm not talking about putting in the effort and never quitting. You can do whatever you want. I'm just saying, if the thing you're good at isn't bringing you joy anymore, why are you still doing it? Because that thing could still bring you joy if maybe you were working on a different part of it. So I had a client and she said, I hate what I'm doing. I hate talking to my clients. I hate doing one-on-ones. I hate doing groups. I hate doing masterminds. She was doing all kinds of different things. I said, yeah, but what if you were making more money doing it? Would you like it? She said, yeah. Huh. Uh, why don't you raise your prices then? Well, I don't know if they'll if they'll say yes. I don't. I said, yeah, but look what happens when you raise your prices. Because any any coach can say raise your prices and get more clients. Stupidest, easiest thing anyone could ever say, right? But when you really think about it, if she's attaching it to her joy and her time availability, and she raises her prices, and she's able to, it's like a cascading waterfall effect. She's able to think about who she really wants to work with and then work with them. Mm -hmm. She did this as she made over $30,000 in one week and then turned it into a six-figure thing over just a few months. One question, what would make you like this? More money. Okay. And you know what her, her, her big excitement was? It wasn't the money. She said, I played with my kids at the skate park. And I haven't done that in forever. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But Richie, Richie, you and I both know the hardest piece about this is to just freaking believe in yourself and do it. So I got my roots done like two weeks ago (laughs) and my stylist, I, I gave her $200 tip. And she's like, oh my gosh, you pay me too much. I said, no, you, I just keep telling you, you don't charge enough. You do not charge enough, which is a frankly, a disservice to me because she doesn't charge enough. She has to be so booked. So I'm willing to pay a premium to get, have access to her because she's so good. She would have to work fewer hours. She'd have, a, frankly, a different level of client. And this is a conversation that every time we have it, she goes, I know, I know. But it's three years of having this conversation. What do we need to okay. do to believe? To, to act, like She knows it to be true. Why won't she do it? I'm like yeah. talking her into charging me more. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's true. Let me make it, let me share a process that might work for her 
or who's trying to figure this out. Once you decide what is the goal of the goal, then you can prioritize how you spend your time. This is important because most people put their priorities last. This is weird, but it is a normal thing, the stick and the carrot. Okay. And then take that priority and turn it into a project. Okay. Projects have a beginning and an end. Okay. They can fail. People set goals from experience. I don't know why they do that. A goal set from experience isn't a goal. It's a task. You already know how to do it. It's no goal. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. A goal should be set outside experience. That's what growth mm. is. Mm. You know, Covey would say, uh, begin with the end in mind. Richie, that's so good. (laughs) Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Outside of your experience, you know, like that should, I might have to change the push journal because I talk (laughs) about the parameters of goal setting and that's, you know, I say one that that pushes your limits, but outside of your experience is far more specific than setting a goal for yourself that is something you've already done and then saying, I'm going to achieve this again, but bigger. Yes, And and then just as a side note, you don't have to know what you're doing to make stuff happen. An architect does not build a building. They draw it. A general contractor does not build a house unless they want to. They sub everything out. Everything. And they get paid the most. So you can architect the way you work or you can general contract the way you work however you want. I'm even talking about how you work inside of an employee-employer situation. And when people say I'm stuck in a job, well, I know statistically people leave their jobs in America every 4.6 years. So huh. there's opportunity everywhere, man. <laughs> you know? Anyways, so you create purpose, priority, project. And then you can decide how you want to get paid. And then you can become prolific. It's better to be prolific than perfect. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the mistake that she's making in others is that we're thinking about our own priority and just putting it last. Yes. And what you're saying is that we need to think of our priority and then from that create a project around fulfilling it, honoring it. Yes. I don't know her, but based on what you're telling me and what most people do, people put how do I get paid first? How you get paid first makes you sacrifice everything that's important to you for money. Say that again. If you put, how do I get paid first, it forces you to put everything that's important to you after that. You sacrifice everything that's important to you for money when you put money first. Not consciously. You don't think you're doing it that way. In fact, you're telling yourself that you're getting paid to feed your family. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, as a brain exercise, what if you put how you get paid last and put your time and your family first? I am sure that if you follow this process, you will find a way to get paid to support your purpose instead of endlessly telling yourself, tricking yourself into thinking that how you get paid will one day in the far distant elusive future create the purpose you dream of. That doesn't happen. You didn't bake in the sugar from the start. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we have to overcome, if we're being honest, is all of the objections 
that and obstacles that we make bigger sometimes even than our own priority, right? Like, so my priority is I want, I want to spend more time with, you know, let's just use my stylist again as an example. She's like got a farm that she's just started. Like this chick is awesome. But anyway, she wants to like grow her farm basically. And she's uh, Dr. Doolittle has like a million animals and wants to spend more time there with her animals. And she's probably going to get married the next year or so. And we'll probably want to spend time with her kids. But in her mind, whenever that, we talk about that idea, she thinks to herself, well, if I do that, I'm going to make people angry. What about the person who's been coming to me for 10 years and I'm raising my rates? What if then like all of my best clients, uh, most regular clients leave me, then how like all of these objections? And I think that's pretty common for people. I think that's why most people don't just freaking try because (laughs) they let fear hold them hostage and they allow those like thoughts to become so much bigger than their own priorities. It's like what we focus on, right? So if I'm just focusing on all these fears, I don't even realize that the priority is even more important to me. So how do we break that cycle? Okay, two thoughts. I have a friend that broke his leg surfing at Sunset Beach. He got a metal pole put in his leg and he was back surfing a a few weeks later. And I was like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You know, and he's like, no. I I asked, I said, are you scared? And he said, we're all scared out there. I said, why do you do it? And he basically said, you know, it's fun. I like it. But what he was really saying was he was more afraid of not surfing than he was of getting hurt. Now, it's like a mama bear who protects her cubs. That said, if you have a compelling reason, you will do anything. You will, you will knock down walls. You will. It's just the way it is. When we're, when we're in survival mode, we'll do whatever we want. But most of us are not in survival mode. We are already good. We're good. There's no reason to do anything different, except for. And by good, you mean comfortable? We're we're just comfortable. I mean, you're not starving on the streets. You have a house. You got you got water. You're 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 basically fine. But when you start thinking about how am I going to grow beyond this? What do I really want? What I want to do? I'm not saying be crazy and smash through walls. I'm not even saying go surf big waves after you broke your leg. I'm saying just rethink the process that already got you to where you are because that process got you where you are. And a new process will get you somewhere different. So as an entrepreneur or any person in business who's working with products or services and money, they think through mitigating risk. So I would welcome all those questions. And I would ask her, yeah, well, what would be the worst thing that would happen if, if a client you know, fired you because you raised your prices. And, you know, I, w- I don't want that to happen to her. So, you know, maybe the answer is don't raise the rates on that client. Tell them that you raised your rates, but you're not raising it on her. Mm, okay. Client yeah. for freaking I mean, be life. Resourceful. Yeah. 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 Every question that comes into your mind creates an answer. Doesn't mean the answer is right. So you have to ask a better question to get a better answer. Okay. So when she says, what about this? What about this? What about this? I go, well, what if you could increase trust with your clients while changing the way you do your business? How would that look? And then you start creating new ways of doing it. So if someone really wants to make more money, there's, there's several ways to do it. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get their time back. Mm-hmm. So deciding and adding that into the equation, how will this increase my freedom, availability, my autonomy, 
then you start finding different answers. I know that there's, you know, a, a lot of personal customization to this, but when you think about a goal, right? Like when we're creating flexibility in our schedule, what percentage, I hate to put a number on it, but like what percentage of our schedule should we have open flexibility? And what, what does that look like? Does that mean we're not calendaring anything in those time blocks? Okay. This is, I, know, I know this is getting to the Said core. the Stephen Covey graduate. This, this, yeah. <laughs> this is the core of your world. Five minutes on the trampoline with my kids when they were younger without a cell phone was more important to them than walking around the playground and letting them run around while I'm on my cell phone. So sometimes quantity time is quality time, but not always. Mm-hmm. And, and like if you work within the bounds you already have and you say, I really do want to spend two weeks in Italy and you do work at a company where they allow you to have two weeks paid time off, whatever. Why are you hoarding it and waiting for it to stack up for 10 years and then you have all this? You're never going to use it. Schedule that. It's the same thing. So you can start scheduling all the big things you want. And I know you, you're into this word about dis- distractions. When you get focused on the things that you want to focus on, it crowds out the distractions. So when you say the essence of my work is this, and you start living from the essence of what that looks like, your work will eventually support that lifestyle. The reason I know that's true is because we're already doing that, but in the reverse. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. But I, I, my brain needs something more concrete. I'm just like when you, that sounds almost philosophical to me. And so I'm having a tough time grasping it. Like I literally want to know what should my push journal look like? Am I scheduling 20% okay. of my day and letting the 80% have some flexibility to do the things that are in alignment with my, you know, okay. my P's, if you will? Uh, and there's so, so many P's. Another P, I'm a huge fan of the Pareto Principle. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's another P, which is Parkinson's Law, which is yep. work expands the amount of time given. So yeah, if you want 80% of your time to be the things you want it to be, your time will expand and contract around the work you need to do within the limits that you've created. Meaning, if I tell myself it's going to take let, – let me say it this way. But no one's more productive than a procrastinator with an impending deadline. (laughs) 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 Right? You get all the work done at the last second, but you do heroic work. We punish ourselves for that, but I don't know if there's anything inherently wrong with that. The, The hard part is that we punish ourselves while we're waiting to finally do it. That you know what I mean? But maybe we just let that go and just did it last minute, anyways. There's lots of ways to manage this. But your calendar, whatever it looks like, with anti-time management, eventually you're doing all the things you like and want to do and not the things you don't want to do. So all of it looks like passion. Mm, mm, yeah. It, it looks, whether it's fun or not, it looks like something that you're excited about. Whether you're like screaming and dancing about it, you're like, this is cool. I, so for me, I focus on these big picture projects and let the little things fall 
in between. If there's something I don't like and want to do, I find someone who can help me. Yeah. In this way, sure, if you were to break it up 80 to 20, I do 80% of what I want and 20% of what I don't want, that would be a good thing. But it wouldn't necessarily be the whole truth because 100% essentially would be the goal. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I feel like I'm doing a good job of that. Like, uh, you know, when I look at my calendar, what it looks like today versus what it looked like 10 years ago, it's crazy. But what's interesting is what my calendar looks like and what I kind of pretend it looks like to other people is partly because I believe there's this stigma associate not even a stigma almost like a badge of honor like if you are every like you you say in the book that a a full calendar often results in an empty life and i'm like dude dude that's so huge and my calendar used to be so like every single minute every 15 seconds like every you know from from the time i woke up at 4 30 a.m until like 11 o'clock at night and it was not even though I thought I was like doing things I enjoyed, there were so many other little things in there that I didn't enjoy. And I also didn't enjoy, here's a big piece of that. I didn't enjoy having to do things at specific times, even though I liked doing that, that someone said I had to do it at that time. Like for me, that wasn't the flexibility that I wanted. I want, so my schedule now looks so different. I don't take calls. Even the things I, I want to do, I don't do them before noon so that my first half of my day can be fun, can be roller skating, can be working out, can be the things, like you say, that are just unplanned and unexpected. They might just happen and it gives me that flexibility. But for whatever reason, I still feel a little guilty about doing less. I still feel guilty about doing less, scheduling less, but I'm getting more done. So I'm a work in progress. No, no, but look what you just said. You might feel guilty for doing less, but you also said you're doing less, but getting more done. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's crazy. And that's, yeah. I know people can't see this, but like on the cover of the book, I have this prism with the line and then what I call prismic productivity. The idea is how can one choice eliminate a bunch of other choices? How can one choice create tons of big effects on the other side because who cares about this choice i'm thinking about this one over here yeah that changes everything so if someone were to to calendar nothing's wrong with calendars calendars are amazing they're very helpful everyone should buy a push journal (laughs) they should buy 20 (laughs) of them right now (laughs) but when you fill it out don't fall back into bad habits of filling it in with stuff you don't want to do. When you fill out the calendar, ask yourself, when you fill out the push journal, ask yourself, does this look like a full life? A full life or a full calendar? Full life. Because a full calendar can look like a full life. But we start off with all the things that have to get done. You can do that. But if you're going to do that, you might as well put in the things that you really want to do as well. This will inherently... Focus your mind in a way to get the things that you think you need to get done in a shorter amount of time. This makes you more effective, more efficient, and a better word I think is actually it makes you effectual. The effect, the cause and the effect. 
So when you're filling out a calendar and you feel like you've done it all and you have an empty life, why don't you just tell yourself a different story? Write in a different story. Oh, but all these things have to get done. Yeah, but what if they got done in, in less time? What if I could ask Sally to do it instead and, because Sally likes doing this kind of stuff? Well, I don't have anybody in my life to help. That's fine. Go down the list of the things that you can do and do those first. Everything that you eliminate, delegate, and outsource, I call it EDO, E-D-O will give you your time back instantly. And essentially, everything you like and want to do is what you're doing and your life is balanced. So then you shift it and add on more things that you like and want to do, and you've imbalanced your life in the direction you want to go. So then when people ask you, you can actually say no without feeling bad about it, because actually it really doesn't fit into your calendar, because you're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it just it's a mindset shift where we have to, I think, think differently about what success looks like, you know, and, and um, what a successful person looks like. Cause I think we've been so conditioned for so long to believe that a successful person is somebody who's, you can't get on their calendar because every 15, you know, like I'm looking at my calendar for today and it's, it's a, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if I were to post this on social media and maybe this is where I need to like check myself, I would put in some extra things in here so that I look busier yeah, yeah, yeah. than I am because I want people to think that I'm successful. And so maybe it starts with me. Maybe it starts with leaders. Maybe it starts with people who are teaching others how to do this and me not remembering that a full calendar and and being scheduled every single minute of the day actually isn't helpful. I can't be effective if there's no time for me to process, if there's no time for me to think through it, if there's no time for me to daydream to like, you know, for example, after our interview today, I, I have scheduled for myself an extra hour. Because mm. I want to soak it in. I know you're going to say something that I'm going to want to look up. I'm going to want mm. to decompress. I'm going going to want to think. I don't want to rush. Like I want to, I want to, it to have an impact on me. And, and and I also enjoy doing what I do. Yes. And in the past, I didn't do that. I would I would be like, okay, can somebody else record the outro? I've got to get to my next interview. And now I just do one. Yes. You know, I'll do like one thing. I know that sounds weird, but if I, I want to be honest with my listeners, I do like one thing a day that I have, like it, that it's scheduled and that feels like it's, I have to get myself up and prepare for it. And I enjoy it so much more than when I used to go, okay, I have eight hours. I can do eight big things, That's but so also not enjoy none of, enjoy none of them because I felt so rushed. No, that's so good. If you define your life success as being productive, then what could be more productive than doing less things and creating bigger and better results? That's what we're talking about. I know too many millionaires, and so do you, that don't like themselves and wish they would have spent their time differently with their family. This is everyday stuff. And you're like, how can the richest people in the world also be the saddest people in the world? That doesn't make Mm. any sense. Mm. So if you decide how I measure success is in quantities of available time, or not even that. What do I do for my spouse and when? What do I do for each of my children and when? What do I do for my coworkers and when? You can do that in any circumstance. You just can. All right, Richie, this has been phenomenal and super helpful. I want people to get the book because there's so many cool concepts that you talk about that are very tangible, like project stacking. And you select, you know, we're talking concepts today, but in the book, you give very specific 
simplistic exercises that really do flip time management on their head. It, it's a surprise for people who have been living their lives a little differently. If you recognize that in you know, 2022, 2023, things are different, that the world is different, the way that we work, the way that we can make money, the way that we can live our lives, there's so much new possibility that our you know previous generations didn't have. This is a book you have to pick up because even if you think you're exceptional at uh, personal development, time management, being productive, etc. I think a lot of us have slipped into tendencies and practices that made sense, but not in. They don't make really make sense in today's world, and that's why there's so many people who are unhappy. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, and we'll leave it at this: you've had a lot of tragedy, and I find that sometimes. It is those moments that give us insane perspective where we're like, no, I've got the perspective. I'm making this change. Does somebody have to experience that in order to make these kinds of changes? Like, is mm. does, is that a prerequisite? No, you don't want you, you. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we can learn from others and others' experiences, but I also know that whatever someone is experiencing right now we can always compare it to someone else and minimize it. And that's not fair. So whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever is hard, you know, I think it's been said that pain is like gas in a room. It it, it fills the whole room, Mm. you know, and you don't have to go through the same experiences as others to find the same lessons, but you do need to choose to assign meaning to what's happening in your life in a positive way, I believe, to move forward. And I say assign meaning specifically because a lot of people are wondering, what does this mean? Why did this happen to me? Where am I going? Which could be all kinds of things. But when you say, to me, this means I'm going to live a better life because you will think of ways to live a better life because. Mm. It's awesome. Richie, where can people who want to work with you, reach out to you, connect? Oh, you're so nice. RichieNorton.com. And I'm going to give you guys something I call the 76-day challenge. My my son lived for 76 days. And I have this challenge that kind of walks you hand in hand to create ideas and projects and dreams sooner than later. So RichieNorton.com slash 76-day challenge. 76 day challenge. And of course, go to Amazon, grab my new book. <laughs> yeah, yes, time yes. management. <laughs> is, it, is, is the book out yet? Or are oh, we on pre order? Okay, okay. It's on pre order, but it's already available. I'm so excited. It's already available at like random places like Target and Walmart and Barnes and Noble and Amazon, you know, the, the regular ones too. Bottom line is this whenever you, whenever I hear like a, something that's like really profound and I know I need to understand it deeper, if it's a pre order, you're going to forget. So go right now. There's a link in our show notes. You don't even have to like leave the podcast. Just scroll over the show notes and you can click on that link and it'll go directly to get a copy, a pre-ordered copy. It's going to show up for you just when you need it. Like it's just going to be the perfect time because these are, like I said, really simplistic exercises, but they're new. These, these You really do flip time management on its head and it's incredibly valuable because we have one life to live. Thank you. So, Richie, thank you for being an incredible mentor, a friend, an inspiration, a great dad, a great husband. You're all the things that 
I prioritize when I think about people who I want to align with. I've learned so much from you. You know, when I came to you, I just written my other book, The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And I didn't really have a business model behind it. It was just a book. And when people came to me and they told me their stupid idea, I could help them make their stupid idea a reality. But I learned real quick, they wanted what they thought would come from, from the success of the idea, which is what this book is about. But you taught me and gave me a business model that I could use in my business so I could take my meaning and make money doing it and help others do the same. So like, honestly, it's come full circle and I'm just so grateful for you. Thank Isn't you so a much. Cool world that we live in. Like, it really is. Dude, like this is literally all you need to make it's crazy <laughs> cool things happen in your life is your phone. Like what world even is this? We're so blessed. Yeah. Thank you, Richie. It's been a real pleasure. You're I love best. you. Thank you so much. I love you too so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as me. Please don't forget to go and pre-order Richie's book. It is great, you guys. I'm telling you. I don't often say this. It really did put me in check. And it's kind of like what I needed. You know, when you struggle with work addiction, which I think we all kind of do, and being busy addiction and like phone addiction, you have to have a regular check-in with yourself. And that's exactly what Richie's book does, but also gives you like a completely new way of looking at things. So go check it out. Link is here in our show notes and be sure to pre-order the book. Just it might already be available. Hey, it's Kristen, Shaleen's podcast manager. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, could you go and leave a review for Shaleen and Brock? Let them know what it is you liked about this episode. What really hit home and what would you like them to cover in a future episode? And while you're at it, could you just double check to be sure that you are subscribed? That way, if you're subscribed, you won't miss a single episode, which is released every Tuesday and Thursday. Did you know that Shaleen has another podcast called The Shaleen Show? It's all about living your best life. She gives you tips about improving things physical mental health, mindset, habits, relationships, nutrition, fitness, sleep, and so much more. She has the best interviews also. But if you're already subscribed to both Build Your Tribe and The Shaleen Show, you really should go check out Patreon. Did you know The Shaleen Show is now on Patreon? Shaleen gets super personal, spills the tea on everything she can't on her other podcasts, You also get to experience Brett, completely unfiltered, completely confident, and completely hysterical. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash The Schleen Show. Anyways, thanks for listening. Remember, anything referenced in this episode, including links to all the other podcasts, can be found below in the show notes.